0: So good morning. This morning we're going to finish up a series actually that we started uh, several weeks ago called Reorganic. And if you're new to the narrative culture, uh, Reorganic has been our desire to uh, remember and further develop what is really a central belief and vision that we've had from day one. Because we recognize that among movements like this, when people rally in the name of Jesus and say they want to serve, oftentimes what happens is that all of the opportunities to serve outside of the organization, or the institution if you prefer, uh, become invalidated. And so we think of serving as running sound on a Sunday or hanging out with kids and teaching them about Jesus on a Sunday, or even some of the during the week church stuff. And in doing, we oftentimes invalidate the ordinary, everyday, organic opportunities that your mundane life affords you because of where you work and where you live and who you have relationship with. And so uh, we worked really hard from the very beginning to validate those and encourage one another to explore how we can find some balance in our lives so that we have time to serve corporately like this, because frankly, uh, we can't do this without people committing. And at the same time, to leave room to serve a neighbor when there's a spontaneous need and those types of things. So the series... Has been about uh, reminding ourselves of that and putting more handles on that and making sure that we develop it and fill it up more, lest it just become an empty concept that we talk about, but something that isn't really lived out because we talk about it like we know what it means, but we kind of don't. This morning we're going to finish it up, and really my goal this morning is to kind of uh, deconstruct it, to come at it from 180 degrees opposite direction and kind of uh, pose some hard questions. Uh, some of you who know me know that uh, deconstructionism is one of my two spiritual gifts which often gets me in a lot of trouble and sometimes serves itself well, and I think this morning, hopefully, it's the latter. Because you ever feel like the organic kingdom-bringing thing, does it ever feel idealistic to you? Uh, simpleton, maybe? And I guess really what I have in mind is simpleton because, uh, well, frankly, it's overwhelming. Because sometimes the, the, the problem isn't identifying needs. Sometimes, uh, do you find that the problem is that you see too many needs? Like when you go to work, when you hang out with your friends, when you just pay attention to the community in which you sit. I think so much of this movement and this direction of organic kingdom bringing is about see the opportunity, seize the opportunity, and rightly so. This morning, I guess I'd like to pay some credence to the fact that sometimes uh, we have just the opposite problem, that we're so overwhelmed that we kind of don't know what to do from there. I mean, maybe you can relate uh, to just the opportunities that overwhelm you at work. Like, you, you, you go to work... And you interact with this this mom and you forgot that you interacted with this mom last week and you're reminded that this mom has three kids and one of them is a boy and he just turned 13 and her husband flaked out a few years ago. And every time you interact with her, you remember that you kind of have this heart moment where your heart kind of goes out to her, and you have this desire, and maybe you've even talked to her about it. Like, I'd really like to go to your kid's soccer games. I'd really like to spend some time. Maybe I can teach him how to fish. Maybe we could go hunting together. There's this part of you that would like to step in and fill a void in that kid's life. While his mom works really, really hard, you get inspired to do that. But then the problem is you leave that interaction, and you go to the cubicle next door, and you're reminded that that guy, he just had his third kid, and it was a C-section and his family is just buried right now, and they're not getting meals, or they are, but it's kind of, right, if you've ever had a kid, you know, like, it's just chaos, and your heart kind of goes out, and you're going, like, I'd love to rally around them, and get some friends to provide meals, and maybe get over there, and mow the lawn, and just kind of bless them, and encourage them, but then you leave that interaction, and you're reminded that there's, there's a guy who's been talking to you about his marriage, and it's kind of rough, and, and, and and he knows that like, you're involved maybe in the mentoring thing at your church, the marriage mentoring thing, and you've had these like, kind of speculative conversations of like, maybe we could hang out. Maybe we could kind of encourage you guys in that way. But then you leave that interaction, and you see that the, the next gal, she reminds you um, that she's moving this weekend. And you have a truck, which makes you wish she didn't have a truck, right? And then you leave that interaction, and you're talking to this guy who's telling you that he's just got his head in his hands because he was just at the mechanic, and the mechanic told him that it's going to be $400, and you say, well, what is wrong with your car? And he said, well, it just needs brakes. And in your head, you're going, well, I know how to do brakes, but I don't know if I should tell him I know how to do brakes. And actually, brakes cost like $80 if you know how to do it, and it really only takes a couple hours if you know how to do it, but I don't know if I should volunteer myself because I've got all these opportunities. And then you move on and at lunch you sit down and you're sitting next to a guy who you're eating lunch with and you remember that um, his wife and him are looking for someone to watch their kids so they can have a date night once a month. And the opportunities, just, do you ever just kind of feel like the opportunities just pile up and you just kind of don't know how to do anything? And they're not just like time opportunities, are they? There's also the financial ones, and I don't know about you, uh, but like even Steve Jobs was limited financially, Right. And you talk to this one guy and you remember like, oh yeah, he's going on a mission trip to Africa and he hands you a letter about his mission trip to Africa. And then you leave from there and you go in the workroom and there are uh, a poster about this gal who's girls in uh, Girl Scouts and she's selling Girl Scout cookies. And then you leave there and there's this other guy that hands you a sheet because his son's in Boy Scouts and he's selling that overpriced popcorn, right? (laughs) And then you you move from there and there's somebody that's trying to sell you a discount card from, from the soccer league and you've already got four. Right? but you like them and you want to serve them. And, you want to, and then someone else is selling chocolate. You don't know what the chocolate's going to. You just know that they're selling chocolate. And then there's another gal who, if, if her kid doesn't sell enough gift wrap, there will be no more music department at the school. <laughs> right? And all of them are good. And you just kind of go like, I don't know, do I just give $10 everywhere? Like, how do I move forward? And then there's the team player thing, right? Like You have probably heard the lecture from your boss, like we need to be good team players. And if you work shift work, particularly... Probably at least once a week, whether you're a waiter or a nurse or whatever, someone's going like, "Hey, will you trade me shifts? Could, could you work my Monday and I'll work your never? Like, could could we <laughs> could could we do this deal where you work and then I don't work? Or, um, like, could I work your afternoon and you'll work my morning? Or, you know, those types. Of, could you work my lunch? Could you just work harder so I could surf the internet faster? There's, there's these, and it's like, okay, so where's the line of being a good teammate and actually like, I don't know, having some boundaries? And there's also the question, like, uh, with, with customers. Like, where's the line? Like, when do I, like, when am I serving a customer? And when am I, like, I don't know, getting hosed? And, and how far do I go in that direction? Maybe you're a business owner. Or maybe you have a trade. Maybe, maybe you build things. Maybe you fix cars. Maybe you're an electrician or a plumber or uh, a dentist. I don't know. Do people ask you to work in their garage when you're a dentist? Like, hey, could you sneak me into the alley and fix my molar? I don't know. But, but I'm talking to these friends who are in this trade all the time, and the tension they feel is when you have a trade, see, the thing is that trades are expensive because people make a living doing trades, right? And maybe you're in a trade or you own a business, and there's this reality of, like, okay, so when do I give somebody a deal on their home purchase, and, and when do I not because I'm trying to feed my family? Like, how, how many opportunities do I have to say yes to? Because, frankly, I'm in a for-profit business, But if I said yes to all the opportunities, it'll be a not-for-profit business, which means I'll be bankrupt, which means, like, in a church, you don't have to make profit. I have to make a profit, right? Do you ever feel overwhelmed at work? Like, you just come home, and you're just like, bleh. And then there's the relationships you have, right? like the people that you do life with, no matter how casually or no matter how good of friends you are with them. And there's the birthday parties and there's the celebrations and there's the sporting events and there's like babies being born and people moving and people doing all kinds of stuff in their personal lives. And there's hunting trips and backpacking trips and vacations and all of these invitations. And we haven't even talked yet about the friends that you have whose marriages are in rough places or whose finances are in rough places or who are really sincerely asking some really deep spiritual questions. But you don't know when you'd even talk to them ever feel that way? And then uh, I'll bet you a lot of us could relate to this one. Uh, there's that neighbor kid and you know that his home life stinks. And every time you see him, whether you have kids or not, whether your kids are playing with him or you just see him like playing in the street, you have this sense of like, man, I'd love to give him some of my space. I'd love to invite him into my context a little bit. I'd love to kind of spend some time with him. Or, or maybe, maybe it's not a kid in the neighborhood, maybe it's a kid on your kid's team, and you realize, like, when you hang out and you go pick your kid up from their practice, you realize that their life is exponentially easier than this kid's life is, and you have the sense of, like, I'd love to invite them in, but i got all these other opportunities. Or there's that neighbor who's 170, and every fall her leaves pile up in the yard, and you feel guilty. And, and then it snows, and you don't have to feel guilty anymore because the leaves just disappeared under the snow, Right? <laughs> And then there's the places you go, you know, the people that you interact with in your class, at the gym, the, the parents at your school, the letters from the Y about the need for soccer coaches or football coaches or, or employees, I don't know, like, there's, there's all these needs. And then there's that guy on the corner at Walmart. Do you ever just kind of feel overwhelmed? Like, okay, this organic kingdom ringing, good idea, not my problem. Because frankly, I'm fried. And I guess this morning I kind of want to address, like, what do we do then what i'm realizing in my own heart is i do a couple things then well really i do one thing and i rationalize it from two directions uh, one is i do nothing because i just get so busy and i'm not busy actually i'm just stressed but it feels like the way to deal with that is to just do nothing because i feel stressed out but i'm not really stressed out because i'm doing anything i'm just mentally fried and so i sit on the couch and i watch the broncos get decimated right The other thing is, uh, and I don't know if you can relate to this, uh, I think most humans can, is we we can confuse the fact that we can identify the need with the actual meeting of the need. It's that classic, like, intentions aren't the answer, you know? I don't know about you, but I get deceived by, I'll go like, they could use this, and they could use this, and I see that need, and I see that need, and I see this kid on Lincoln's football team, and I feel good about it because I see the need, and then when I look backwards, I've not actually done anything. I've been deceived by good intentions. So I guess this morning, I just kind of want to address, like, like what, what, do we, what do we do? And there's actually a principle that I think Jesus can help us with. I think it's central to his life and existence, something that makes us theologically pretty uncomfortable, because it's hard to admit that Jesus, like, went this direction, but I think he did, and we kind of have to squirm under it. And yet, at the same time, as we squirm under it, we go like, yes, if he squirmed, I can squirm too. Yeah, we're squirmers. But there's this principle, um, and I didn't coin the phrase, it actually comes from a guy who I probably respect more than any leader in the country, a guy named Andy Stanley in Atlanta, Georgia. And he coined this phrase and I heard him talk about it in a different context. And I went like, got to talk about an organic kingdom bringing, which means that I'm exercising my strongest spiritual gift, which is that of plagiarism, which isn't a joke. I I like to learn and then like just kind of regurgitate it. And then you all think I'm smart and I'm not, I just steal. Um, which is ironic in its own right, which wouldn't really matter to you. But, um, actually stole the idea that my spiritual gift is plagiarism from somebody (laughs) so just to kind of confirm the fact which by the way can you see my fingers if it looks like I'm I don't know a hillbilly I don't usually if I shook your hand and you're like what is wrong he's got scales I was putting windows in my boy's new bedroom last night and you know that spray insulation stuff I decided to rub my finger along the edge of the window like caulk I'm told that acetone will take it off Wipes at Lowe's. There you go. <laughs> wipes, really? With acetone? Wow. Just to change diapers and get stuff off your fingers. <laughs> okay. okay, so here's the principle. I'm going to give it to you, and then we're just going to kind of unpack it. Uh, Andy Stanley says this, Do for one what you wish you could do for everybody else. Like, like do for one. I just, we just say that. Like, do for one. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone else. See, I think Jesus lived this way. And it makes us squirm, but we'll squirm together. In John 5, sometime later, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lie in there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, he replied. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. The belief was that the angel would come and stir the water and the first one in would get healed. Uh, While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked picked up his mat and walked. The next verse is not, and Jesus healed everybody else. In fact, uh, one way, maybe this is too much license, but one way we could translate that is Jesus uh, walks into the colony. I've been there. It's massive, and the hole, the pool was deep. Well, I don't know why that's important. But he walks in. Excuse me. Pardon me. Excuse me. You want to move that? I don't want to step on it. guess it doesn't matter. You have leprosy anyway. Excuse me. Pardon me. Excuse me. Pardon me. Sir, do you want to get well? Yeah, but I, I don't want to hear your excuses. Do you want to get well? Yeah. Okay, you're well. The man stands up. He's walking out. And Jesus seems to do the same. Well, catch you guys later. See you later. He leaves a place where uh, maybe hundreds of people who are uh, just as invalid, if you will, as is that man, and he heals one. Now, on the one hand, I think this is theologically troubling. And if you're someone that's wrestling with God and a belief in God, and particularly a belief in the Christian God who is benevolent and in control and all-knowing and all these different things, it gets at the heart of what bugs us about our theology and what Jesus taught because it raises that question of, if you can heal him, why not me? If you could do that for her, why not for me? Like, why would you allow that to happen to that guy, to my brother, when you kept it from happening to so many others, right? And, and I, don't, I can't solve that tension. Other than to suggest that Jesus was human. And like you and I, in ways that I don't think we can comprehend this side of the veil, Jesus was limited by his humanness. He was God he was human and we see time after time his humanity limited him emotionally, physically, financially, just like yours does. Which for me means, okay, that's theologically troubling and we got some work to do there, the Lord and I, but it's also encouraging. Because if Jesus has permission to do for one what he wishes he could do for everybody else, like, doesn't that mean we do too? Doesn't that mean you do too? I mean, if Jesus can go like, I'm going to do, leadership experts will call this symbolic leadership. I'm going to symbolically do for one of the employees, one of the neighbors, one of the kids on my team's, uh, kids on my kids' team, what I wish I could do for all of them. If Jesus could, then I'm just going to assume that I can too. And and we see this happening elsewhere in Luke chapter 6. It says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judah, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. How many people uh, maybe desired to be named apostles that day? Like, we, we've got tons of them, right? We don't know exactly how many people are there. I think hundreds is a safe assumption. How many of them desired that appointment of apostle? Uh, how many of them were qualified? And here we go, like, well, none. Because that's the whole deal. It's grace. Okay, but, or, or, I'm as qualified as Judas, right? I mean, you want to talk about feeling hosed. Like, how, how, how about that guy that was passed up for Judas, right? Like, if he's qualified, I mean, come on. Why? twelve? What could, could Jesus do for 12, what he couldn't do for 300? And did he embrace the limits of that and say, I'm, I'm, I'm okay doing for one what I wish I could do for everyone else? See, uh, part of what this tells us, and another observation you make about Jesus' life, is, is he knew the frustration and the agony of disappointing people, of letting people down. Uh, in Mark 3, or excuse me, in Mark 1, It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went out to look for him. This is at the very beginning of his ministry. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Translation, you're kind of a big deal. Like, people kind of like getting healed. They kind of like getting uh, their demons cast out. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. Uh... It's really good that all those people in that town appreciate me and want me to heal them. I'm leaving. Like, like he knew the tension of disappointing people. Or, or, or go to um, Luke 7. Soon afterwards, Jesus went down, went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the, the buyer that were, they were carrying him on, and the bear stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. How many funerals in Israel that day? Like, like how many grieving, grief-stricken mothers burying their, their son, whom they loved? Jesus healed one. And we can run from that, and we can hide from that, and we can reject him on those grounds. Or we can go, huh, wow, cool, this kind of feels good. He, too, was limited. He, he, too, did for one what he wished he could do for everyone. What would it look like if I did that? And I think what's important is to bear in mind that his desires, his intentions, his dreams, his goals, his ambitions, his visions, they included everyone. Right, Like John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's desire is for everyone. Matthew 28, uh, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain. See, Judas didn't make it, so I could have made it. There could have been 12, Jesus, you missed it. Uh, To the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to him and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's what we call the Great Commission, post-resurrection, before the ascension. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The vision included everyone. And yet the vision wasn't, I'm Jesus, I literally have a Messiah complex. Like I can literally do everything. It was, I'll do for one what I wish I could do for everyone. I'll do for a few what I wish I could do for everyone. And if you do that, and 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 I do that, then everyone's needs will be met. Uh, One guy, the guy who started World Vision, in my mind, one of the greatest uh, organizations in the world, said, don't fail to do something just because you can't do everything. What if you, too, have the permission, with your business, with your trade, among your friends, at work, to do for a few? do for one once a year one couple at a time one, one, one marriage at a time what if you have permission to do for one what you really wish you could do for everyone and you like Jesus have to go like I guess I'm gonna have to be a disappointment to about 99% of my population and that might just have to be okay you know what I think holds us back I think Andy Stanley's right when he says what holds us back is the fairness doctrine because ever since, like, when we first went to school, you would ask our teacher, can I do something? She would say, no, because if I let you do it, then what? Then I have to let everyone else do it. First coach, first job. Now, can we agree parenthetically, there's a place for fairness. But, but is fairness the goal? Is God fair? Uh, I mean, I think fairness went away with the fall. Because if, if fair is a principle that's supposed to bear itself out, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like I might be getting host. Either that or I feel like I'm way more blessed. I don't know. Like, uh, and I wonder, uh, how, what do we do to a soul when we send them into the world and say, anticipate fairness? What does that do? Now, my, my kids and I, we don't have like, very many games that are creative from my soul for I am a plagiarist, um, but the one as I was studying this that came to mind, I don't know how, was one of those like, spontaneous, like hopefully uh, heirloom kind of ideas, was uh, we were driving in the car and one of them said, that's not fair. And I started this game where I went like, well, you know what else isn't fair? Uh, you have an arm. Lots of kids don't have an arm. You have two arms. Like, you know what else isn't fair? Like, you're driving in a car. You don't even have a job. You know what else isn't fair? Like, and the other boys started chiming in, and it became this game of like absolute ridicule, and like, you know what else isn't fair? No, you know what else isn't fair? And, and then one of them cries, and the game's over. <laughs> and we've only played that game like four times, because it always leads to a meltdown. <laughs> but... I honestly couldn't tell you the last time I heard one of the boys say, that's not fair. And in fact, I heard Justice say it the uh, most recently, the last time I heard it. And as soon as he said it, he just buried his head in his hands. <laughs> Don't say it. Don't. <laughs> I have a friend who's a remarkable leader and, and is involved uh, coaching. And this last summer I heard secondhand this story where one of the guys on his team uh, had some stuff happen and it looked like he needed a place to stay for a couple weeks. And he came home, and as he and his wife were navigating this, where do you suppose the conversation was, was happening? Well, if we do it for one, we're going to have to be willing to do it for all of them. To which I go like, Jesus frees you from that. Because he didn't. Like, he did lots of things for lots of individuals that he didn't do for everybody. Like, what if, what if you don't have to do it for everybody? And I'm not suggesting that we, like, have the posture of a servant with one relationship. I'm just suggesting that, that what if when we get into the specifics, when we get into the trade, when we get into the job, when we get into the career, when we get into the real estate, whatever it is, what if we just went, like, I'm just going to have, I'm just going to make sure that I've always got one couple, one situation one opportunity, one person that can call me at all hours of the night, one couple who can ask whatever they want to ask of us, one, one, one group of friends who they can ask me to do anything. And I'm just going to constantly keep myself grounded by going, yep, there's, there's one person that I'm doing for them, what I wish I could do for everyone. Uh, th- three further principles that or, um kind of things that give more detail to this principle. First of all, uh, go deep, Not wide. I don't know about you. My tendency is to kind of pat a whole bunch of people on the head and feel good about myself, but do nobody any good. You know, go go deep, not wide. Go go long term, not short term. Think think years, maybe decades. Around, narrate one of the things that we talk about all the time within the staff is over, or excuse me, under promise, over deliver. It's kind of the same deal. Like think long term not short-term, and think uh, time, not just money. Which leaves us with the question, uh, who's the one? Wh- wh- what's the couple? What's the situation? Who's the person? Wh- wh- where is God begging you to begin to recoil a little bit and admit uh, that you can't do as much as you'd like to do? And maybe wh- where is he saying, like, hey, there's that, there's that situation. Like, drill down there. Go, go go deep there. Let me just give you a moment to, to reflect and pray, and I'll, I'll close this up. We're actually going to worship through communion. Why don't you just take a moment in the solitude of your space and uh, process with the Lord. Lord, uh, it, it frankly is confusing being in your very nature God uh, you didn't do everything for everyone and we're grateful and humbled to be a part of that vision that we recognize that, that your vision is in many ways dependent upon our obedience and yet God this morning uh, I feel like where you're begging us to put our attention is on the permission for boundaries the permission for margin the permission to uh, strategically say yes and, and and rather than say no, kind of, but to just say no? Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us understanding? Uh, would you give us better results at loving people and loving you by loving people as, as we just deepen the opportunities that we seize? God, we really do want to be... Uh, an organic, kingdom-bringing community. And so, would you bless us and give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.